I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello everyone and welcome on into this week's La Liga Lowdown Match Day Recap with myself, Hugh McDear hosting and with all of our expert guests who are coming up. As always, we're also rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. A lot happened in La Liga this weekend. The teams at the top all won and we'll be discussing them looking at Barcelona and Sevilla in depth ahead of their Champions League matches this midweek. But we're going to start with a team at the opposite end of the table, Elche. They played in the first fixture of the weekend on Friday night and lost 3-1 at Celta Vigo. A Santimina brace and a goal from Bryce Mendes did the damage, even if a big mistake from Celta goalkeeper Ruben allowed Emiliano Rigoni to pull one back for Elche. By losing this, it made it 16 La Liga matches in a row without a win for the newly promoted side, and that was enough for coach Jorge Almiron to resign. He came into the post-match press conference. This is what he said. I'm going to keep it short to avoid speculation and everything. I've taken the decision to not stay on with the team. I wish the players and all the people I know the best, there's not much more to say. And that was it. He was gone. And Fran Escriba is hired as the new coach. Almiron didn't say much, but I know someone who does have a lot more to say about it. And that's Elche fan, Keith Farnan. I know you were in the Almiron out camp, Keith. So what was your reaction when you heard he'd resigned? Well, first of all, my initial reaction was one of relief and hope. Hope that there is now maybe a chance that we could actually survive relegation this season. But the more I actually thought about it, the more I felt that I was slightly annoyed that it took 16 winless league games for Almiron to leave the club. And the fact that he had to resign, and I fully credit him for doing that because it's a rarity in the modern game. And without him doing that, I actually doubt the board would have changed anything. And that really worries me because it makes me feel like perhaps Braganik holds the interests of his clients above the interests of his club. And that for me, and for I'd say most football fans across the world, is just not a sustainable way to run a football club. And it can't, it can't persist. Now that the Almiron project has come full circle, does that change your opinion of the summer decision to sack the promotion winning coach Pateta in any way? 
No, no, definitely not. I came onto this podcast a few weeks ago and I said that Pachetta was thrown under the bus by our board and I fully stand by that statement. I think the way he was treated after he'd done such an incredible job pulling off that miracle promotion, as I said, was it was a terrible way to treat him. And for the board to then go and to replace him with Almiron, who at the time had no experience in Spain, obviously he's had his season with us and it's not worked out well. So that decision just looked worse and worse as the weeks went by. And if you now look at what Pachetta is doing with Huesca at the moment, and although they have lost their last two, albeit to Real Madrid and Sevilla, they are improving majorly and they look like there is a chance that they could stay up now, which they didn't look like they had a chance before. But hopefully, with Fran Escriba coming in, he can turn it around and have a similar and even better effect on us. He has kept us in the division twice before, points-wise. Obviously, the second time there was that uh, that issue with the financial side of the club. But I am really hopeful for the rest of the season under Fran Escriba. Yeah, exactly. So, Escriba as the coach who's been hired to replace Almiron back at a club where he had some of his greatest success. What exactly do you think you'll bring to the team? Well, I am extremely excited that Fran Escriba has come back. He knows the league very well and he also knows the club really well. As does his assistant, David Genarello, who was a great player for us. So I am very happy that they have come in. And I also feel that Fran Escriba will believe that he himself has a point to prove. That he is still a La Liga level manager. Especially after his stint at Celta Vigo ended so shortly. But I also think that we could stay up. But even if we are still to go down, which a lot of people, with good reason, believe we will, uh, lack of investment in the squad and lack of quality from most views. But I I think that Francis Grieber, personally, I think he could keep us up. But even if we are still to go down, which a lot of people, as I say, believe we will, I am confident that Francis Grieber would be able to rebuild us and hopefully bring us back up in in a year or maybe in two years. But overall, I'm extremely, extremely happy that Fran Escribe has come in. And I'm looking forward to the rest of the season now. So hopefully we can kick on now and hopefully we can stay up. OK, thanks, Keith. There's obviously always different views among each fan base, but you do get the sense that most Elche fans share Keith's views there on how it really was time for Almiron to go. And now there's that flicker of optimism. Elche, remember... They're only three points from safety. They could still do it. And if they do, it would be just the latest miracle at this club with several of them in their history. Our latest episode of our podcast series detailing the histories of each La Liga club is actually one about Elche, so maybe check that out if you're interested in knowing more about the club. It's on LaLigaLowdown.com and also linked on our social media. So, Almiron is gone and he's the fifth coaching casualty of the season in terms of who the next one will be, many think it could be Jose Bordelas at Hitafi. They lost 1-0 at home to Real Sofidad at the weekend and they've now not scored in 449 minutes of football. They've lost four and drawn one of their past five. And for the second time in three matches, Bordelas was sent off to the stands. This time for a confrontation with the Real Sofidad players Ander Baranechea and Carlos Fernandez. He had some... Angry post-match comments too, calling for respect. It's all it's all getting quite tense in Bordelas land, but here's the thing. Unless something major changes behind the scenes, and you never quite know with Hitafi, I mean, that could happen, but unless something major changes, then 
it's unlikely he'll be sacked. Hitafi just don't have the money to pay him off during the season and sporting-wise, they're not that much in trouble. They're 14th in the table, remember, but yeah, it's certainly a situation to keep an eye on. We're now going to turn our attention to the top of the table and let's go to the very top, to the league leaders Atletico Madrid. Their 2-1 victory over Granada is the subject of our sore throat game of the week this week and Ruby Barlow is going to talk us through that game and the best commentary clips now. After conceding late on Monday and drawing with Celta, Atleti will have been keen not to show any chinks in their armour as they travelled to Nuevo Los Carmenes to face Granada on Saturday afternoon. It was a tight battle, between two of the best organised sides in Spain, and despite Luis Suarez hitting the woodwork, it was an even contest until the deadlock was broken in the 63rd minute. Ruben Martin, describing Marcos Llorente's fine finish, which Rui Silva couldn't keep out. Llorente is fast becoming one of the most decisive figures in La Liga this season, with 7 goals and 7 assists already. Granada were by no means done yet, just 3 minutes it took for this to happen. Santander, la mejor liga del mundo. El saque de esquina no lo defiende bien el Atlético de Madrid. Qué listo es Jorge Molina. Qué listo es el Alevín. Qué listo Jorge Molina. How clever, Hugo Condes of Andacero said. He brought the ball down in the box and slid it across for Yangel Herrera, whose deflected effort found its way past a black. All Atleti's hard work was undone, and now they had just 25 minutes left to find a way for a stout Granada and avoid dropping points again. Goal for the leaders, Llorente involved again. Correa's shot was deflected by Vallejo, coming out chewed up, as Martin put it, looping into the far corner to give Atleti the lead. Granada pushed, but couldn't break Atleti down this time. Their indomitable spirit has been crucial and there were plenty of positives from this performance as they go into one of the biggest games in their history against Napoli on Thursday. It doesn't change the fact that they haven't won in La Liga for over a month now, which has to be a concern for Diego Martinez. Simeone, meanwhile, charged down the tunnel at the final whistle in celebration, which shows the magnitude of this victory. Their versatility has been a major talking point this season, but Atleti's grit and ability to suffer will still be at the heart of any success, as it was here. In November, Gigo Narvaez wrote that Atleti are wearing the face of champions. They're starting to look pretty comfortable wearing it. Thanks for that, Ruri. And that then brings us to the end of part one of this episode. But don't go anywhere. We've got Barcelona and Real Madrid's wins to discuss next. That's coming up in part two just after this. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back into this Match Day 23 recap podcast. We're looking back over the latest round of La Liga action where one of the most attractive looking fixtures was Real Madrid versus Valencia but it was over before half time really because Benzema and Cruz scored one each for the defending champs. We've got our Valencia correspondent Paco Pola joining us now and Paco it was 10 Real Madrid shots and zero Valencia shots in the first half. It could hardly have been more one-sided so how frustrating was that to see as a Valencia fan? Well, it was possibly one of the most disappointing first halves of the season, especially if we assess the attitude Valencia showed during the first 45 minutes. I can't really express with words how plain angry watching the team just wander around in the pitch made me. It seemed a precision game, a, a training session exercise. Uh, Real Madrid players didn't even break a sweat, while Valencia players didn't press properly, they didn't pass the ball properly, they didn't recover the ball properly, and they didn't defend properly. It was very painful to witness, and the feelings were pretty rough to describe. It was a little bit more even in the second half. What changed? Um, Not really that much. Remember that Javi Gracia was absent from the dugout due to a one-game ban and he was watching the game in the stands. Figor Aranalde was Valencia's head coach in the game, but you could sense the subs at halftime made sense in Guedes' case because he had a horrible first half. But I didn't really understand why Vallejo was benched as he was one of the few players who really showed effort and tried to get the team back on their feet. But, as I said earlier, the subs didn't really change the pacing of the game. Very slow, with Valencia 
cowardly hidden in their own side of the pitch, Real Madrid easily moving the ball around, keeping their energy levels in check and not really needing much to win the game. Only Maxi Gomez tested if Courtois was paying attention and the keeper made a great save, but that was pretty much it. Several of Valencia's January signings featured in this game. How do you think they did? The only one who played the 90 minutes was Francisco Ferro, the Portuguese centre-back, and he was, well, I guess okay, nothing really outstanding, nor really big mistakes. He's very young, remember, and he had to play because Guillamon was banned, Diakabi is still injured, and Mangala is chronically, physically handicapped, let's put it that way, so I would give Ferro a pass. Um, Oliva came out mid-second half and again he didn't really improve nor worsen the team and finally striker Cutrone came in the last 10 minutes so he didn't really have time to make an impact on the game all around Valencia's performance was very bad so we shouldn't judge these players based on such bittersweet debuts for most of them so Benzema and Kroos were the ones who got the goals for Real Madrid and they were both really nice goals which one was better? You see, I think Benzema's strike was more proficient technically, but it's true that he had quite a lot of time to control the ball and a lot of space to execute the finish from outside the box. Valencia's defenders were incredibly tame and that lack of aggressiveness made Benzema's task much easier. But if we talk about the second goal, Toni Kroos finished with class 2, so again, very easy for a player with such quality. Is the title race over in your view or do you think this Real Madrid team can, can still win it? I don't really see Real Madrid with the same consistency as Atletico. Whenever Cholos men have a bad day, they still manage to pull off the win. Regardless of having good, decent or bad games, they still pick up the points. In Real Madrid's case, I think it was very smart for them, not really shifting gears and increasing the effort against such a poor Valencia side because they had a two-goal advantage and it was more than enough for them. But I don't see them being that comfortable in the next few games coming up in their schedule. I actually see Sevilla possibly or even Barca in better shape nowadays than Real. Okay, thanks Paco. From Real Madrid, let's move over to Barcelona now. And they also had a very comfortable win, thrashing Alaves 5-1 at home on Saturday night. It's time then to bring in Roman de Arquer to discuss this big win. How nice was it to finally see Barca win without suffering at all? It's definitely good to see that the team uh, doesn't have to keep an eye out on the clock right until the end or Kuman doesn't have to bring in an extra centre-back to defend the results. So it means that things are working and, and the team is going the right path. But I have to say that personally, I don't mind suffering that much because it helps you appreciate uh, the wins a lot more. You know, it helps you cherish the results, and and it's it's obviously a strange season for Barcelona. They're going through this sort of uh, transitional period, we could say. And after being used to winning uh, game after game, maybe you'd lost a bit of that passion. But now uh, you're just praying your team wins every single weekend. So it's also. Uh, part of, of the emotional side of football, I guess. We saw another two goals from Trincao, which is, well, I mean, I guess it surprised me. And then two more goals from Messi, which isn't so surprising. Messi really seems to be back to his best, doesn't he? 
He does indeed. I mean, Messi's performance was fantastic, possibly one of his best this season, and just those two goals were absolutely wonderful. I mean, um, the shots, you know, the, the the precision, the accuracy in those shots is something that he was lacking not long ago this season. You know, he was missing these uh, classic opportunities he generates when he runs across the box and just curls it in. And they were just never, you know, going to the right place. But this game, you know, those two shots were, were fantastic. He had some other great opportunities. He generated, of course, uh, some of the other goals. So I think this is the Messi we need and it's important to, to have him at this level in such an important moment of the season because we're going to have the Champions League coming back and uh, we have to avoid dropping points in La Liga. If we want to have a slight chance at winning, which I think is basically impossible, more like to, to defend that second position, I'd say it's important to have this Messi. And of course, he'll be needed in the Copa del Rey game against Sevilla on the second leg. Alaves's only goal came from a bad pass from 18-year-old Elex Moriba, who was making his La Liga debut for the first team. But how do you think he played overall? I liked him. I mean, I think he had a good performance. He was brave. He was uh, moving forward in attack. And in the end, because of that, he got his assist for Trincao's goal. So, I mean, uh, Iliax had a very interesting game. Unfortunately, he did give away that pass. That was a mistake. Maybe he was a bit too relaxed at that point. Things were going well for for the team and he felt too comfortable I'd say so it's it's good that he makes these mistakes now you know to keep him on his toes to keep him aware of the situation I'm sure that he's going to learn from this and in the future games you know he won't uh, he won't uh, maybe space out or relax too much he'll be concentrated all the way through and he'll make sure you know all his passes are pinpoint and he improves in that aspect so it's no problem that he made a mistake these things happen fortunately it wasn't a terrible thing for Barcelona because they won the game so uh, it's good that Kuman trusts these kids and gives them opportunities in the first team we've been missing that in Barcelona and now it's PSG next on Tuesday what's the mood in Barcelona ahead of this Champions League game as you may imagine, the mood is positive, especially after that good performance against Alaves we were talking about. Uh, the team looked really good offensively and that's something uh, we've been striving for and we're getting there. But um, a few hours before the game, let's not forget that Barca were still thinking about that defeat against Sevilla in the Copa del Rey. And it has to be said that uh, Barca is struggling a lot against the better sides and PSG is one of those better sides. And even if Neymar isn't available for them, they still have a lot of firepower and attack. And we all know uh, what problems Barca has in defense with Umtiti and Lengli underperforming and then the injuries of, of key men like Araujo and Pique. Although apparently they're willing uh, to take the risk and play the game and force themselves through. But of course, that could aggravate their current injuries, which was, which is a risk. Uh, the doctors, the club, the players are considering, and we won't know right until the end what happens in that case. But if they're not available, uh, it's definitely not a positive thing for Barca for the match itself, because we all know that PSG are, are, are an incredible team in attack and very, very dangerous. So um, the mood is slightly better, definitely, after that uh, win against Alaves. And hopefully uh, Messi's good form and the team's good form in that game can kind of, you know, uh, drag along into this uh, Champions League match. Thanks, Roman. So, yeah, Barcelona are in action against PSG at home on Tuesday. And by home, I mean actually at home, not in Bucharest or Budapest or somewhere further afield. Sevilla have the home leg of their last 16 tie too. They'll face Borussia Dortmund on Wednesday. So let's get the Sevilla lowdown too by speaking to Chris Lale of the Monchi's main fan page. Sevilla just defeated Huesca 1-0 on Saturday with 
and Munir El Haddadi goal and they achieved this with a lot of players rested. So Chris, how good does it feel to take another three points in this way? This Sevilla team is on a really great run right now. Winning five straight in La Liga and nine straight overall has been amazing. This accomplishment has been done without some of the best players too. Both of our starting fullbacks, Jesus Naves and Marcus Acuna, both went down with injuries in the Ibar game back on January 30th. And of course now we're facing our third match without a compost due to his injury in the Catafe match. Hopefully we can continue this run of form with a more complex schedule coming up. For sure, and who would doubt that Sevilla can keep this up? It's not just that they're winning, but they're not conceding. Just one goal conceded in this run of nine wins. A major reason for that is the goalkeeper Bono. How good has he been of late? Bono for sure deserves credit. However, I hate to give him all the credit because of just how good those around him have been. Kunde has been getting a lot of the credit this season, but the defense doesn't work without Diego Carlos being the muscle and Fernando cleaning things up in the defensive midfield. With that said, you can't deny the impact Bono has made since taking over his keeper last season when Vaklik went down. He has great reactions, and he's been much more commanding of the box as of late. Yeah, Kunde of course is standing out too, so how excited are you to see Kunde versus Haaland? this midweek. We mentioned this on our Sevilla podcast about how excited we are for this matchup coming up. Kunde and Carlos versus Haaland. I think that's like a headlining boxing match you would just want to marquee. It's really the key to our success in this tie, I think. Haaland provides that unique ability to get behind players with his sneaky pace combined with his physicality. He could be a, a challenge, much like Lukaku was in the Europa League final last season. I do believe our defense has improved since that final, and I would put my money on Kunde and Carlos putting Haaland in their pocket during this tie. What are your general thoughts about this tie? Are you confident, Chris? I don't know why we shouldn't be confident. I mean, Lopetegui has this team playing very solid, disciplined football, and our playmakers are starting to show up as well. You know, Suso, Rakitic, Jordan... And Nezri and now Papu Gomez have all come into their lawn in the last month and starting to gel and things seem to be clicking. Combine that with the Borussia Dortmund's recent form, Sevilla fans have to be confident. With that said, Dortmund still has a ton of talent and some dynamic players that can ruin your day very quickly. The fans are excited and really looking forward to the Champions League and continuing our run in La Liga and Copa del Rey. Thanks, Chris. We've got a really exciting midweek of European football ahead then. There's Europa League 2, which for once won't feature Sevilla, but we've got Real Sociedad facing Manchester United, Granada playing Napoli and Villarreal taking on RB Salzburg. Villarreal, though, come into this game in iffy form. They've now failed to win in any of their past five in La Liga, losing 2-1 against Real Betis on Sunday as Manuel Pellegrini returned to La Ceramica. Even with Villarreal being gifted a penalty, and gifted is the word, and with Jared Moreno scoring it, they couldn't come back to overcome the goals conceded to Nabil Fakir and Emerson either side the halftime. A big win then for Betis, but real disappointment for Villarreal. The last two games that we've not mentioned yet are the ones that could have a really big impact on the relegation battle when all's said and done. Ibar and Real Vidalid are levelling points at the edge of the relegation zone, and they faced off on Saturday. An early Rocky Mesa penalty was cancelled out 
by Kiki Garcia's seventh goal of the season, and that was how it finished, 1-1. Iber coach Jose Luis Mendilibar was asked before the game if he considered this one to be a final. Not at all, was his reply. As he pointed out, there's another 15 games to go, but this head-to-head -head meeting was obviously an important one, and Iber now hold the tiebreaker over Real Valladolid after beating them earlier in the season, should it come to that. Then, another huge relegation battle result was Osasuna's 1-0 win over a Levante side that are maybe a little distracted by the Copa del Rey. Ante Budimir scored the only goal of that game and Sergio Herrera saved a Jose Luis Morales penalty to mean that Osasuna have now won three of their past four in La Liga. Oh, and Jimmy Avila is back in training too, so it's been a good few weeks in Pamplona. That's all we've got time for then in this match day recap. I want to thank all of today's guests. That's Keith Farnan, Ruby Barlow, Paco Pollitt, Roman de Arker, and Chris Lale. I've been your host, Jim McTeer, and I hope you've enjoyed reliving the latest La Liga weekend with us. Be sure to follow and interact with us on social media this week as we cover the Spanish sides in Europe. And then we'll be back at the same time next week with our latest match day recap podcast. Until then, take care and thanks for listening today.